Hey, it's Dallas, and I have a question for you. But first, let me give you some context. Let's say you're an avid skier. Oh, look, frost. And every year, you and your best friend pick a brand new place to go skiing. And every year, you rotate who actually gets to pick where you're going. And this year, it happens to be your turn. It's up to you to choose where the two of you are going to go. So you hop on the Google machine, and you start looking at some different options. After a little bit of looking around, you find a great deal on two tickets to Granite Mountain in Wisconsin. Add it to your cart, and $500 later, you're all set. All of a sudden, you get a phone call from your best friend and ski partner. They're super excited to tell you about the amazing deal they just got at Mad River Mountain in Ohio. Two lift tickets for only $250. Just then, you realize it actually wasn't your year to pick where you were going. Now you've got two sets of ski tickets for the exact same weekend. Adding to the dilemma, both sets of tickets are non-transferable and non-refundable, so you're stuck with both sets of tickets. Lastly, once you confess to your skiing buddy, you find out that the $250 tickets in Ohio that they bought are going to make for an undeniably better skiing trip. Better snow, more runs, freestyle park, anything you could ask for. So now you're faced with a decision. Do you choose to use the more expensive $500 tickets or the cheaper $250 tickets that you're certain will actually make for the better trip? Again, do you use the $500 tickets or the cheaper $250 tickets? Take a second and consider it. Okay, got it? Given that we've already decided that the $250 tickets will be a better trip in terms of pure enjoyment, and there are no other distinctions between the two locations, it's obvious that you should choose to use the $250 tickets and just throw the $500 tickets in the trash. Duh. However, 54% of people will knowingly choose the more expensive, less enjoyable trip, purposefully skipping the better experience because they'd rather waste the $250 tickets, even though it's going to be a better trip. So what's going on here? Let's take a quick break, and then we'll dive in. This is Dallas McLaughlin, and you're listening to Unconsidered, the podcast where we get inside the mind of the modern entrepreneur, business owner, and marketer. We, for lack of a better word, is good. If you don't know which door to open, always account for variable change. There is a zero percent chance. You dropped 150 grand on a fucking education, could have got for a dollar fifty in late charge. Tell me something I don't already know. Come on, we just made the deal of our lifetimes. We should celebrate. We're in a completely fraudulent system. Fairy dust. It doesn't exist. So the question I asked is referred to kind of obviously as the ski trip problem. It comes from a 1985 research paper titled Organizational Behavior and Human Decision Processes. It was done by Hal Arks and Catherine Bloomer. The ski trip problem is one of the many experiments Arks and Bloomer conducted to understand how deeply human decision-making is impacted by what Richard Thaler coined a few years earlier as the sunk cost fallacy. To go a little bit deeper in another experiment, Arks and Bloomer separated people into two groups. In one group, Group A... Respondents were told that they were the lead of a $10 million research project to develop a new military aircraft. And after $9 million has already been invested in the project, they receive news that a competitor has just entered the market with an aircraft that's way faster, cheaper to make, far more likely to succeed than theirs. It's a better aircraft in every way than they could ever make. So Group A's aircraft is dead in the water. 
Then as the project lead, they were asked if they should continue the project, spending the remaining $1 million, even though they know it will be in a losing effort, or if they should cut their losses, end the project early, take the remaining $1 million, and invest it into a new project. Then in the second group, group B, they were posed with a similar problem, except before their project ever began, before any money was ever spent, they received the news that their competitors also just kicked off a similar research project. Again, the competitors far more likely to build a faster, cheaper plane, more than they could ever do. So no chance of success. Group B's aircraft is also dead in the water. Uh-oh. So both projects have the exact same future outlook, $10 million spent and a failed project. But despite no indication of financial or business success in their future, 85% of people in Group A, the group that had already invested $9 million, decided to continue with the project, essentially lighting the last million dollars on fire. In Group B, where no money had been spent, 83% of people decided to shut the project down before it began, before any money was invested. Again, in the absence of any compelling reason to complete the project, only one reason stands out as to why Group A continued on. Sunk costs. While the airplane experiment is an extreme one, sunk cost problems are occurring all around us every single day. These problems are causing us to stick with a certain course of action simply because we're invested in it, even though a new course of action is clearly more beneficial. For example, employees will work underpaid jobs for bosses they hate because they've found ways to deal with it, and they don't want to start over as a new person at a new job. People stay in toxic relationships because it wasn't always that way, and if they leave now, they're not sure what they'll find in the future. People will let their debt pile up because what's another $5,000 loan when you're already $50,000 in debt? Employers will stick with underperforming employees because it will take time, energy, and it's costly to hire and train a new employee. Sunk cost is losing six hands of poker in a row and then going all in on the seventh hand because there's no way you can lose seven in a row. When, in fact, every hand of poker is a brand new hand, not associated with the prior six hands, and you can definitely lose seven in a row. This is also known as throwing good money after bad money. These are all examples of the sunk cost problem, and it's happening to all of us on a daily basis, at home and at work. Think about a project you're actively spending way too much time on or a relationship you're over-invested in, then ask yourself why. It's happening to you too. So why is sunk cost so difficult to overcome? Why do we, and that's all of us, continue to foolishly pursue jobs, projects, relationships, investments, even long after it becomes clear that selectively quitting and doing something else instead will be far more beneficial in the long term? Maybe one way that we can help to frame the problem is to use another name for sunk cost, and that is the escalation of commitments, or the escalation trap. Where sunk costs tend to be associated more closely with financial or labor costs, escalation of commitments helps us frame the problem in another light. That is, as we continue to build commitments to a person, a group of people, our children, maybe a home project, it becomes harder to overcome our personal egos and walk away from these commitments, even when it's apparent that they no longer serve us or the people impacted by the initial decision. So why does this happen? At the simplest level, we as humans, on a psychological level, don't like to waste things. In our ski trip problem, Using the more expensive ski tickets means we're limiting our perceived waste. We're only wasting the cheaper $250 tickets. If we were to actually use the cheaper tickets, then we're doubling our waste because we're not using the more expensive tickets. Our perceived waste increases from $250 to $500. Also, we feel worse about ourselves. We feel guilty. 
Even when we tell ourselves the $250 ticket is the better trip, we will willingly sacrifice our future enjoyment to not feel so bad about ourselves today. The loss of $500 feels greater than the loss of $250, even though no matter what you decide, you've still spent the exact same amount of money. Whether you choose the cheaper or the more expensive option, you've still spent the same $750. Another potential reason that sunk costs is hard for us to overcome is that we as leaders and decision makers don't like to see ourselves as people who make losing decisions. This causes us to stick with our initial decisions in the hope that eventually, if we wait long enough, it will pay off and we will feel justified in our decision making. This outlook, this type of commitment trap is exacerbated when others are involved and are also potentially impacted by the sunk costs we've committed to. Not only do we not want to view ourselves as poor decision makers, we tend to double down on our decisions and commitments to avoid appearing to others as poor decision makers. We don't want the external perception of who we are as leaders to become that of a person who has flexible commitments, especially when that's the opinion being formed by our bosses or our children or our spouses. This causes us to hang in there longer for a potential future payoff, which would validate our decision to ourselves and those around us. Another cause is pretty basic. We're wired to please. We're wired to please ourselves and we're wired to please those people around us. And we don't like saying no. This is often the root cause of an escalation of commitments. The escalation of commitments can come in many forms, like promising to take your child on a vacation, which then escalates to include a nicer resort, a bigger theme park, then there's skyrocketing gas prices, and then you want to stay one night longer. We keep escalating our commitments in this situation because it feels good to your family and you don't want to disappoint them. But at a certain point, each additional commitment isn't returning the same value of increased joy. At a certain point, each additional commitment can cause the total enjoyment to decrease due to all the rushing around, not having enough time to truly enjoy the vacation, not having enough money left in the budget to maximize each stop, and so on. This is the point of diminishing returns. Escalation of commitments can lead to too many social events. Just one more happy hour, one more networking event, one more wedding. You fall into this escalation trap because you went to Betty's baby shower, so you better be at Linda's wedding shower. And then the week after that is Joni's birthday party, which you definitely can't miss. In a vacuum, each yes is minor. Each commitment is usually small. But as these yeses compound and we look back at the entire chain of commitments, we often find ourselves overwhelmed by the entirety of the commitment. We're trapped. Removing one commitment from the chain, unless we plan to remove all of the commitments, is often seen as pointless. What is one less commitment when I already have all of these other ones? And removing all of them is seen as painful, and it's a major letdown to those that it impacts. When we're trapped like this, and there is no obvious path back out, the path of least resistance is to stick with the original decision, to maintain your commitments, to keep going with the project, even when we know it's more beneficial to make a new decision. So how do we deal with this? If this is such a persistent problem in all of our lives, what can we do about it? How do we know when it's time to cut our losses and quit on bad decisions to avoid sunk costs and get out of escalation traps? The first step to overcoming sunk cost decision-making problems is to have a basic understanding of the problem itself. And hopefully with this episode, we're checking that box. But if not, here's another example that proves education and awareness is key. When the ski trip problem was tested across two groups, psychology students explicitly educated in sunk costs, and another group of students with no explicit education on the topic, the students with an understanding of sunk costs and its negative results 
were far more likely to recognize the situation they were in, cut their losses, and make a new decision that was more beneficial to themselves and their teams. The group with no prior knowledge of sunk cost problems failed to recognize the situation, becoming more likely to continue with their original decision, sinking additional costs, and digging themselves in deeper. So to summarize that, have awareness of when you're dealing with sunk costs, or when you're stuck in an escalation trap. Be on the lookout. Call it out immediately to yourself and those around you. At least prompt the discussion early and often. Ignoring it and hoping it goes away will only get you in deeper, and that's not the right solution. The next step is accepting accountability for the decision. Even when we're educated and aware of sunk cost frameworks, it's proven that we still have a tendency to stand by and let sunk costs pile up if at the end of the day, we're not the ones accountable for justifying the decision-making or the outcome of the project. But guess what? That's pretty shitty. You, as a leader, a leader of your colleagues, your family, or your friends, you are accountable for any decision you're playing a role in, regardless of if you're the one who has to justify if it fails or not. Maintaining a consistent track record of accountability and successful decision-making is what separates good leaders from the bad ones. It's what makes people want you on their team or to be on your team. It's what makes people want to have your back in the future when it's you that's accountable, when it's your reputation on the line. If you want people to have your back and to support you, that starts with having their back. And who is to assume that the person accountable to the project or the decision is equipped with the situational awareness to recognize that they're in an escalation trap or that they're sinking costs day by day? Maybe you're the person that has that knowledge and you're the person that can pull them and you out of the hole that's being dug. That's what being a leader is all about. Another major problem that results in our undisciplined pursuit of bad decisions is our own stupid egos. What we talked about earlier in this episode is that we as individuals don't want to hold a belief about ourselves that we're poor decision makers or that we create waste through our decisions, either financial waste, labor waste, time waste, whatever. We don't want to envision ourselves as wasteful people. This effect is doubled when other people are involved. Not only do we not want to see ourselves in this light, we really don't want others to view us as wasteful people, especially our bosses. We don't want to be viewed as the leader who makes a decision or a commitment, points the team in a certain direction, and then comes back with a new commitment, a new direction, a new set of goals, and a whole new roadmap to get there. We don't want to be the leader that is hard to follow because we don't appear to have a clear vision of where we're going. The fear of clouding your reputation or your trustworthiness in the eyes of the people you're leading can cause you to dig your heels in and stick to your initial plan of attack even when it's become apparent that it's no longer the best plan. What you're doing when this thinking occurs is you're too closely associating your choices and your decision-making with your personal identity. You ask yourself, If I make this decision, what does that say about me? In reality, it's essential for leaders to know when the map no longer matches the terrain when the decision or the plan no longer matches the desired future outcome. As a leader, you have to be able to read and adapt to situations, cut your losses, and make a difficult decision that other people aren't willing to make. If your team is going to make all the right decisions without you, then there's no reason to have you around at all. So make the tough calls. Change course is needed. Quit when you have to. That's why you're there. Competitors, markets, and organizations are always changing. They're fluid. And if you're too rigid in your decision-making, too dug in because of your ego, your competitors and your business's opportunities in the marketplace will run you over and leave you for dead. Lastly, and maybe most importantly, know when to quit. Quitting on time is one of the most important skills you can acquire as a business owner or the leader of an organization. 
And contrary to popular belief, winners quit a lot. For example, in Texas Hold'em, World Series winning poker champions fold their initial hand 75% of the time. 75% of the time before the game even starts, a champion level player has quit. Even the non-champion but still pro-level player folds their hand about 70% of the time. Now compare these numbers with the amateur poker players who only fold their initial hand at a rate of 25%. The professional players quit far more often than the amateur players. Champion level poker players are making a decision in real time to quit based on the cards that they're holding in their hands and based on their current chips, based on their competitor chip counts. They are not basing their quitting decision on what has happened in the previous hand or how many chips they started the game with or how much they dislike their competitors or no matter how many people are watching. They're basing their decision to quit or continue based on the information they're receiving in that moment weighted against the potential future upside of that decision. Professional poker players understand that each decision is a brand new decision, unencumbered by the past. But unlike world champion poker players, when you find yourself struggling with sunk cost decisions, you're likely pulling too much of the past into the present to inform the decision. You're using yesterday's information to inform today's decision. You're thinking of the resources that you have invested, the promises that you made along the way, and you're probably thinking about what it will mean for your reputation. Us mere mortals also worry that quitting now or changing direction now is too early. Despite clues in the present that it's time to make a new decision, you'll often find yourself negotiating with and against yourself to stay the course. But guess what? When you quit on time, it always feels too early. That's the point. When quitting becomes the obvious choice, it only becomes obvious because things have gotten so grim that you have no other choice. That's quitting too late. That's far more risky than quitting early. And when you find yourself in a place where you're not sure, when it's too close to call between sticking to your original decision or making a new one, it's likely that the new decision is the better choice. By not quitting, by not making a new decision, you're missing out on the opportunity to change directions into something that will create more progress toward your goals. Anytime you keep pursuing a losing decision, that is when you're slowing your progress. Anytime you stick to something when there are better opportunities out there, that is when you're losing ground. And as far as your team is concerned, or the people impacted by your change of direction, try saying this. I made a decision based on a certain set of information that I had available to me at that time. I now have new information available to me, and based on that information, the smart thing for me to do is to make a new decision. And that decision is dot dot dot. It's as simple as that. This is Dallas McLaughlin, and that was another episode of Unconsidered. If you made it this far, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. If you're interested, there's links to all of the research and a full episode transcript at my website, dallasmclaughlin.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on your podcast platform of choice and consider sharing it with a friend of yours. Until next time, keep working hard and have fun.